All right, so um, a few years ago, several years ago now, my daughter had this uh, mischievous smile on her face uh, when she said to me, Daddy, your room is a pigsty. And she thought that was so hilarious. But maybe not in the way that you might imagine. Um, uh, of course, it's, it's always fun to catch your parents doing something that, you know, they're not supposed to do or something that they tell you that you're supposed to do, but then they don't do it. But this was really more of an inside joke. Um, a few years ago, we took our kids to a farm in New York State near my family uh, where we learned that pigs have been unjustly stereotyped as dirty and messy. Have you heard this? No? So obviously on hot days, pigs will be found rolling in the mud uh, primarily to keep themselves cool. But when it's bedtime, pigs are actually quite clean. In fact, before falling asleep, they will groom each other and basically, um, which is, you know, sort of their version of taking a shower before bed, I guess. And if possible, they actively try to keep the, the place they sleep as clean as possible, more so than other animals, at least. Uh, so the farmer told our kids, the next time someone says to you that your room is a pigsty, take it as a compliment. So this was funny to Sophia, because this meant that she could basically call me a pig and I couldn't get mad because she knew that I knew that according to the farmer, it was basically a compliment, right? And this is what is so interesting about metaphors. However we use metaphors, your room is a pigsty or you're a pig, whatever it might be. Metaphors and symbolic images is that they have so much to offer us. They can mean so, so much. Um, they can comfort us with their familiarity. Metaphors can shock us out of our complacency. Metaphors can bring clarity. They can bring confusion. And they can bring that fun feeling of tension between two seemingly opposite things, like saying something naughty and nice all at the same time, right? A little too early for a Christmas reference. You're not supposed to say anything about Christmas before Thanksgiving, right? Maybe next week. So in John chapter 6, we've noticed how Jesus feeds the people um, in part um, as a metaphor for how God is at work in the Bible and in our everyday lives. The meal, uh, this common experience that we have several times a day, Jesus uses first and foremost just to feed people but also to offer us spiritual food. But today, Jesus takes this eating metaphor a bit too far, actually, like way too far. So, warning, today's reading is really gross and may not be appropriate for some listeners. Okay, got that? <laughs> Are you ready? Okay, so for seeing his own death, after feeding people and talking about himself being the bread of life, Jesus talks about his self-giving love in this way. John chapter 6, starting in verse, 20, or verse 56. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever eats on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum, 
And on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, it's really gross, right? (laughs) But let's remember that this is a metaphor which, again, can bring clarity or it can bring confusion or both. And like my daughter's inside joke about pigs, Jesus is using sort of an inside metaphor. And it's, it's not really a joke, but it's, a, it's something that we likely aren't catching, um, especially 2,000 years later. So, so let's go back to King David, a warrior king who we're told killed thousands of people, and that was an awesome thing, apparently. A type of king that many people longed for, especially in Jesus' day. They wanted a king like that again. The type of leader many of us still long for today. A strong man who isn't afraid of, of using violence or, or anger or, or tough words to defeat our enemy and to win, right? So after Jesus feeds the 5,000, the people look at him and they're like, wow, like look what he's able to do. Look how he's miraculously able to have the power to take five loaves of bread and two fish and feed 5,000 people. We want that kind of power to be used on our behalf. And so they try to make him king. They try to forcefully take Jesus and make him the new king, hoping that he'll be like David, a king who will use his power to conquer the Roman Empire. But Jesus, again and again and again, rejects this model of leadership, which is why he returns again and again to the topic of his own death, his own failure, really, in the eyes of those who want a strong man. Strong men don't fail. Strong men don't lose. Strong men don't die. Jesus confronts the model of King David by borrowing one of David's own metaphors. So in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 23, we are told that David was a warrior king, and one day, with his army, he was held up in a cave while an enemy army surrounded David's home city of Bethlehem. At one point, David wished out loud, maybe as we do around Christmas time, we wish out loud, oh, that would be nice, I'd like that robe for Christmas. David wished out loud for a drink of water from the well in Bethlehem. From the well in Bethlehem that is surrounded by an enemy army. And so hearing this, three of David's mightiest warriors, his most faithful warriors, fought their way through the army, drew water from the well, and brought it back to David. Wow. So what did David do? David took the water and he poured it out on the ground. Can you believe that? Three men fought through an entire army to bring you water and you pour it out? And David said this, God forbid that I drink the blood of these men who went at the risk of their own lives. So probably not a great idea for three men to take on an entire army. 
to get David his favorite bottle of water, but they did it and they came back. So David, why don't you just drink the water, right? Just drink the water. They did so much to get it for you. David, you cannot survive without water. You and I cannot survive without water. Part of Jesus' metaphor is simply, listen, I will not fight through a human army for you. I will not fight against people that I love, but I will fight through death to bring back life-giving water for you and for this world. David poured this water out, believing that the sacrifice of his friends was too much. He couldn't accept what they had done for him. And we see throughout the gospel stories that Jesus' followers hated it. They hated it whenever Jesus talked about his own death. They didn't want death, they wanted victory. But Jesus is saying, your commitment to the idea of power and victory over your enemies is causing you to miss what I am doing here and now for you. So don't follow David's example. Don't waste my sacrifice. Don't waste what my death will win for you and for our world. So, it's not really drinking blood or eating flesh. It's a, it's a metaphor for allowing Jesus' wide and inclusive love to refresh us, to nourish us, to become a part of who we are, to become a part of our character, for this life-giving water to be consumed and then a part of who we are in this world. Um, but if we continue to follow the way of the strong man who pretends to have no weaknesses, who pretends to have no needs, no needs other than the ones that they can provide for themselves, if we continue to follow the way of the strong man who leads with violence, violent language, violent actions, then what Jesus is saying is that Jesus will not be in us because within our bodies we will have chosen the way of the warrior king. Jesus will not be in us, that life-giving water will not be in us because our bodies will be acting out away the way of the warrior king. We will have poured out the cup. We will have poured out the life-giving water if we follow the way of the strong man. So today is Christ the King Sunday, a day in which our understanding of what a king is is changed and transformed by Jesus. All of our ideas of kings are strong men, people who rule over people, and Jesus comes to change that, that understanding of a king. So, so the metaphor of of bread and wine as the body and blood of Jesus. It, it's what we talk about actually all the time, right? Once a month here in other congregations every week, we talk about the bread and wine as the body and blood of Jesus anytime we take communion or the Lord's Supper. Now, we're, we're not taking communion today, but, but the Lord's Supper is one of the most, if not the most important Christian metaphors or practices or sacraments that we take, that we participate in. So when we think about religious rituals, when we think about religious practices and perspectives, there are two not so helpful 
reactions to whatever the practice might be. The first not-so-helpful reaction is this. That's dumb. Like, that, that makes no sense. And then dismiss it outright with curiosity, without curiosity. Sometimes it's the, the strange practices. I mean, in, this is especially the case when we encounter people of other faith traditions and, and, and a practice that maybe isn't familiar to us, and we're like, what? That makes no sense without any sense of curiosity. But it's sometimes those strange things that invite us into like an experience of wonder and, and awe. Like, what could this possibly mean? That, is, that does seem strange. And that those, those practices have something to offer us because they, they confuse us and they sort of shock us um, out of our complacency. So the, te- the second terrible response, which we, we really need to pay attention to, anytime we gather together as Christians, is the reaction of, well, of course we do this. Like, obviously we do this without any reflection of why or what this means. Of course we eat the body and blood of Jesus. Doesn't everyone? Like, what a normal thing to do, right? No, it's not normal. Like, it's completely ridiculous. Like, it makes no sense on the surface. So, let me stop for a moment. How did I get two? Sorry, I have two. Sorry, two of the same page. Do you want me to go back and just do that all over again? <laughs> How is it that Christians have come to find communion normal? Yes, it's a meal. But we break the bread remembering Jesus saying, this is my body broken. We pour the juice with Jesus saying, this is my blood poured out for you. It's not normal. It's not a normal, of course we do this, like obviously we do this type of a practice. We should be shocked. We should be shocked out of our complacency when we come to that spiritual practice. Because if we're not shocked or provoked by Jesus' death, then what are we shocked by? We will not be shocked or moved by the the death of anyone else. We will not be shocked or moved by by all of the violence that our world has to offer us. Sure, like we'll take communion and and then not be moved by, by the death of an unarmed black kid. If we're not shocked or provoked by Jesus' death, then then we won't be moved or or shocked by the the rise of anti-Asian hate and violence in the United States. We won't be shocked by the increase in in anti-Semitism. We won't be shocked by what just happened again in Colorado Springs with a, a LGBTQ nightclub last night. We won't be shocked by that. We'll take communion and we'll be like, yeah, this is normal. If we're not shocked or provoked by this meal and by the death of Jesus, in one moment we'll take communion, which reveals the injustice and the darkness of our human violence, only to then follow the way of the strong man in our politics and in our relationships and in our way of being in the world. The metaphor, in its over-familiarity, has lost part of the power to change us and to transform us. We need to allow our faith and the stories of our faith to shock us 
and to provoke us again, just as much as we need our stories of faith to comfort us with their familiarity so that it can challenge us and change our way of being in the world, so that we can be refreshed, so that the way that we live in the world will not just be refreshing for us, but will be refreshing for a world that desperately needs change, for a world that desperately needs life-giving water. That's all I got. <laughs> I don't really know what else to say, and I, I, I don't know quite how to end it. But my hope is that as we gather together, that our spiritual practices will comfort us, but that they'll also shock us and transform us in meaningful ways in the world. So Jesus, we pray that you would be with us in all the ways that you're with us, the comforting ways and the challenging ways. Amen.